Welcome back to Voices from Healthcare. Every other week, I seek to paint healthcare in vivid color as I learn more about the human side of medicine. In this episode, we consider the value of working in silence, the power of delegation, and the benefit of mentorship. We look at dental issues that surfaced in some part due to the pandemic, new surgical techniques emerging in the field, and the advancement of dental materials and how these have changed over time. Dr. Hillis and I will sit down and touch on the diversity within the field, from sedation techniques to laser dentistry. We look at the value of using Invisalign as opposed to traditional braces. We will also consider the advancement of dental materials and the value of stimulating an effective physician-patient relationship. Dr. Hillis has brought new insight to the field of dentistry through his advanced techniques in reconstruction, as well as his dual certification in intravenous and conscious sedation. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Voices from Healthcare. This podcast seeks to give practical advice to aspiring healthcare professionals and encourage those within the healthcare field. If you appreciate the message and mission of this podcast, leave a rating and review on the platform you are listening to and make sure to follow the podcast so that you do not miss out on future episodes. It really does help spread the word within the podcasting world. You can also check out the podcast Instagram page at Voices from HC. Here we'll post important updates about season launches, episode information, and more. But now, please welcome Dr. Hillis, dentist, speaker, and consultant to the podcast. I want to look at uh, the beginnings and kind of those early stages. So when we initially think of dentistry, we might think of primarily teeth cleanings, consultations, and maybe addressing cavities. Yet there is incredible diversity within the field of dentistry, from sedation dentistry, full mouth reconstruction, or cosmetic dentistry. Could you just give us a little bit of window into this diversity? Absolutely. Yeah, we do uh, find a lot of times that patients will come in and when we discuss the various different areas of treatment that they may need, uh, it usually amazes them as to all of the different areas that we can cover. So as you know, most people know about you know fillings and crowns and cleanings and x-rays and things of that nature, uh, but many people don't know that there are things such as prosthodontics, which is the reconstruction of uh, missing teeth and missing jawbone. Uh, and then that kind of falls under uh, surgical care as well. Um, cosmetics, obviously, you know, we talked, uh, many people know about uh, whitening and straightening teeth and so forth, but there's other areas in cosmetics a lot of people don't know about, such as shaping chipped and worn teeth to look more aesthetic as though they are um, have never been chipped. Um, you can um, do a lot of different things technique-wise, including... Uh, what we call gum lifts um, in the public, and we call it crown lengthening, but it essentially means that you're repositioning the gum tissue uh, around a tooth uh, so that it, uh, the smile isn't as gummy. And so a lot of patients don't even know that that is available. Um, so we're able to do that either with the laser or in a traditional surgical setting. So of course that then brings up laser dentistry. Uh, many people, I find, just don't really understand what we can do with lasers, and lasers have really opened up the field. Um, you know, a, a great example of just an everyday occurrence 
for about 60% of the American population um, get cold sores. And uh, what many people don't realize is there are some lasers, not all lasers, but there are some lasers that can actually remove those and then have those not come back. So uh, whether it's TMJ treatment, uh, surgical care, orthodontics, and an area that is unfamiliar to many called periodontics, there's just many, many fields of dentistry um, that can help solve a myriad of problems. That's great. And it's great to just get that perspective in there. You're right. There's so many services that patients might not even be aware of. Um, could you give us an overview of your distinctive role within the field? Sure. Yeah. The, um, the, the role that I wanted to um, kind of build upon was going from general practice, which is, you know, I graduated from the University of Kentucky, as you mentioned, as a general practitioner. But I knew when I was there, we, we were able to do rotations in different areas, different specialties throughout those four years. And what I found is I really enjoyed doing a lot of different things. Um, and I enjoyed putting it together. So think of it a little bit like uh, various pieces to a puzzle. I didn't really want to come out and just be a part of the puzzle, um, you know, as far as the doing just fillings and cleanings and exams. I really wanted to dive into how to rebuild the client, um, you know, when they have dental problems, am I just looking at one or am I able to look at each phase, put together a game plan and order presented in a logical manner. So I uh, involved myself pretty heavily once I got out of dental school into both the sedation residency and then additional training so that I could essentially what we discover is dentistry has moved from um, specialties and subspecialties to also dentists like myself that they consider uh, many people will call us a restorative specialist which is just a term that means we're able to do all phases mm -hmm. so patients will come into the office and we can look at everything from the condition of their gum and their bone uh, to the teeth condition and missing teeth and so forth and, and manage things like TMJ issues, cosmetic issues. So that is more my role as I'm, I look at patients, not from an isolated perspective on, you know, do you have a cavity or gingivitis? We're actually looking at the whole mouth, including even outside the mouth in the areas of the muscles, the TMJ and so forth. So, yeah. It's great to get that holistic approach. And like you're saying, it's particularly valuable not just to see one issue for a patient on a case-to-case -case basis, but just look at them holistically. Sure. Um, at my college, an undergraduate a student who wants to pursue STEM will select uh, a major, either biochemistry, chemistry, kinesiology, or biology. And then from there, they will declare a various concentration within this major, such as pre-med, pre-dentistry, or pre-vet. Could you just explain your educational journey and what you pursued in college that best prepared you for the field of dentistry. Absolutely. Yeah, obviously I enjoyed going to the University of Kentucky because you, you can see through my bio that I went there for both undergrad and dental school. Um, sure. University of Kentucky was one of those schools that um, did a really good job of promoting all of the various fields of dentistry and exposing uh, the dental students to that so that they didn't come out, you know, very... Um, trained in just one area. You know, they had at least exposure. Uh, so we did rotations in the surgical field. We rotated into the periodontics department and various other departments. So we had, we had a good experience there. Uh, after I went both to the undergrad at University of Kentucky and then into dental school, uh, because I wanted to 
engage myself in all the various platforms, I decided to go and get my intravenous and conscious sedation license. And that's about a year long process. It's a residency that you must do. Um, there's not a lot of uh, programs that offer that. That's something that you kind of have to go and find. I was blessed to find one up in Dayton, uh, here, um, where, you know, I practice in Ohio. Uh, so I went up there and did a, a year long process, uh, working part-time and then going up and doing the residency, um, for about 12 months. And then after that, the state has to certify you, you know, you have to obviously, uh, show that you can do what you're doing properly and effectively and efficiently. So, um, the state will bring, uh, evaluators to your practice and you will actually put clients to sleep and they'll watch you and, um, and evaluate you. Yeah. So it's, it's quite a process, a lot of tests and a lot of exams and so forth and so on. But following that, then I really uh, just took off. I wanted to, you know, get experience in a lot of different areas. So as you mentioned earlier, I did, uh, went through Invisalign certification. I was actually, um, doing, performing Invisalign cases very, very early, right when the company was in its fledgling state, I just really saw the value of it. And as I worked with it over the last, you know, let's say 18, 20 years, uh, I've realized that the, the Invisalign option has just expanded. You know, what you could do in the past and what the technology has brought now as, you know, various generations of Invisalign have come out, we can do a lot of complicated orthodontic care with it. So that's been great. It's been a great technology to utilize, to kind of work with. Um, I went through uh, implant certification, implant surgery, out in California, uh, with a company out there that does a lot of prosthetics, uh, including um, medical prosthetics, you know, pins, rods, and screws in the dental industry or in the medical industry as well. So when you know, I got certified there, uh, worked in uh, laser dentistry, uh, down in Florida, got a certification, uh, working with what we call CO2 lasers. That was a great experience, and that has been a, a really significant part of my practice, being able to utilize that. Um, I, I think of it more as a tool that just allows me to do my job well. Uh, and then I went into what we call periodontics, doing a lot of gum grafting, working with uh, the gums and the bone uh, with various courses down in Florida. And um, I even spent some time doing a lot of business courses in their early years because I realized very quickly that that's an area that oftentimes most dentists coming out of dental school really are not well prepped and, and ready to rock. And so I wanted to, wanted to do a really good job with my, my team as far as team training and, and managing the business. So spent a significant amount of time, about two years taking courses, uh, in just managing business and practice. So I did that in Utah. So bottom line, I was a little bit everywhere, <laughs> traveled a lot, spent a lot of days outside yeah. the practice. But I think that if you were to look back on that over the last uh, 20 plus years that I've been practicing. I would say I don't regret that at all. It was excellent. And it just continued to allow me to stack knowledge and, um, and give me the ability to do all phases of dentistry, which I truly love. That's fantastic. And it's great to just hear from your perspective, how you're able to pursue additional certifications. And like we touched on earlier in the podcast, there really is so much diversity in the, in the field and there's so much that you can get plugged into and, and pursue those additional certifications. So students who have uh, worked through their undergraduate degree and who are looking to maybe go to a medical school or go to dentist school, they have to take either the MCAT, the GRE, or in your case, the DAT. Could you explain for us a little bit how the DAT differs from maybe the MCAT or the GRE? 
Sure, Jonathan. So I, I think the first thing I need to say is it's been a while since I took that of test. Course. So yeah, we yeah. will uh, we'll, we'll go based on my experience, and and hopefully that will be helpful for you know potential students. So the first thing is the DAT and the uh, MCAT are actually quite similar. Uh, the you know the one main difference is the perceptual sp- um, spatial section in the DAT, which if I were to kind of explain it briefly, it's essentially a, like solving puzzles, uh, three-dimensional puzzles. And so other than that, there is a lot of similarity on the on the two tests. Um, I think that some courses that I would really focus on if I were, you know, a student in undergrad that said, hey, I would really like to prepare myself to be able to take one of these types of tests um, would be uh, Greek and Latin uh, is excellent. Uh, I took a medical terminology course uh, in dental school, or I'm sorry, in undergraduate um, and I did it knowing that I wanted to go into some field of medicine. Mm-hmm. So I thought, Hey, this might be helpful. And it was extremely helpful and it continued to be helpful, um, in professional school, you know, as you are basically essentially learning how to break down, um, the mechanism of our language the you know, the parts and pieces to our language. So many, many a question was answered correctly by me being able to break down our language and using Greek and Latin is phenomenal. So right. that's a, you know, for that would be a pearl for anyone listening to this. If you're in undergrad or you're getting ready to go to college and you're thinking what type of courses, if you can take a Greek and medical terminology course, a lot of the universities do offer those, um, especially the larger ones, then I would jump on that. It's very, very helpful. Um, other than that, uh, a good firm foundation in biology and anatomy is, is key. And so whether it's physiology courses, kinesiology, as Jonathan is talking about, uh, micro was particularly helpful for me. Uh, I think it gives you a, a much more cellular level understanding of things. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, how protein is broken down or how bacteria cause damage in the jaw, you know, to gum and bone. There's so many ways that micro is helpful. So that would be something that I think was really very helpful for me. And then anatomy, anything that allows you to understand the body and structures is really helpful. That's really helpful to to hear from your perspective. And that's interesting that there's that perceptual ability section where you're asked to perform those various solutions uh, to those puzzles. Is a reason for that included in the DAT just to help you visualize more of the 3D aspects of dental care to initial preparation? Or what is the thought behind that? Yes. Um, an interesting story in dental school was in our second year, we really start to, at the University of Kentucky, they really start to encourage a lot of patient care. And so while we're working on patients each year, your skill set and therefore the ability to perform various procedures increases each year. And what has happened in usually in about your second year is you've started to work in mirrors. And what that means is while you're working uh, directly, visually, and then you switch to a mirror when you're working on, say, for example, a tooth in the back of the mouth. It's way back and, you know, on the top of the patient's mouth here. You know, you have to use a mirror to see what you're doing. Well, you're also drilling at a very high speed if you're working on a tooth. And you have to be able to see in the mirror, which essentially means everything is backwards and reverse. Wow. So yeah. that, that ability to switch your eyes very quickly from, you know, looking at the tooth in one way to suddenly having to switch both your movements and your hand and your mind the other way is really a spatial 
you know, recognition thing, being able to flip-flop things. Um, so there are many, many reasons why spatial recognition is helpful uh, for dentists. I think if you have an interest in art, you know, if you're a student in high school or college or trying to figure out what type of medical field you'd like, um, artists do really, really well in dentistry, especially cosmetics in the area of reconstruction, because uh, typically people with an interest in art just have that ability to look at things spatially in their mind, kind of set it in their mind before they actually put it on paper. Uh, and so that that is definitely a skill set that's very highly valued in dentistry. It does seem like an incredibly visual field. So that's that's interesting. And especially as you're doing maybe tooth reconstruction as well, being able to look at that mirror and to be able to, to reverse it in your mind too. So right. did you always have a love for dentistry or did this develop over time? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, when I was younger, I just went to the dentist for teeth cleanings and fillings and whatever sure. whatever I was you know, needing to do at that time. Didn't really think much about it as a profession. But as I got older and got into undergrad and started looking at different areas of medicine, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, I knew that I enjoyed the concept of medicine and, and working with science. I enjoyed science classes and courses. And so I, I knew that I'd want to work with my hands. And so, you know, the idea of surgery crossed my mind. Sports medicine was something I'd looked at, physical therapy, that sort of thing. I, I love sports and enjoyed, you know, enjoyed playing sports uh, in high school and college. So I thought I, I needed to probably do something with my hands, um, not just my mind. And so as mm. I started to put those things together and I realized I enjoyed art, I enjoyed working with my hands and I enjoyed science, it just started to kind of become a natural fit. You know, that was three things that really stood out to me um, that, you know, tend to be a great fit for a dentist. Um, add in the ability to um, run a small business, you know, that independence, that's actually a whole nother part that is really, I think, very fun about dentistry is uh, it's not a corporate job per se. It's a job where you, you know, you come in to your work schedule each day and you, you're not just taking care of clients. You're also managing a business and, and controlling your hours and your week. And so I, I really enjoy all of those aspects of dentistry. So that's, that's great to touch on. And like you're saying, when you're beginning to decide your path and your career, it really can be built on key mentors, formative moments throughout your journey. Were there any key mentors or formative moments throughout your educational journey um, in high school or in college that confirmed your direction towards dentistry? A hundred percent. I would actually say this would probably be a second pearl that I would, uh, you know, say on this podcast, and that is um, build mentors in your life, your entire life. Mm -hmm. um, that, that has been advice that was given to me um, when I was younger, and I immediately gravitated towards uh, building mentors early on, even in high school. You know, it might start off as a coach, you know, or, or a teacher that is really just passionate about a particular subject. Um, you know, in undergrad at UK, I had a history professor of all things, so completely unrelated to my field, but I still to this day remember how fantastic he was uh, in in teaching history and making it come alive. And so I think the mentors are really, really critical um, because they don't just guide you based on their experience, they also motivate. And I think motivation is something that we all need. You know, we, we can get burned out, whether we're in school, you know, working long hours and staying up late, you know, studying for that exam, cramming, or whether it's just the day-to-day -day grind of going to work. So when you have mentors, 
they help build that passion, not just knowledge. And so, yes, I have many, many mentors. Um, you know, we mentors help really uh, are really the shoulders that you stand on. I think in in the business world and in the medical community. Um, you know, I had mentors at de- in dental school that really helped push my interest in particular areas. Oral pathology uh, is an area that is, you know, a little bit unique in dentistry. And Dr. Douglas Dam, uh, who was teaching at the University of Kentucky and, and actually wrote a textbook that many of the dental schools utilize, um, just really loved what he did. And it was really fun to, to be in his coursework. Um, you know, some of your mentors, I think, Jonathan, are mentors that you'll use that are local. And then some are guys that don't even really know you, guys or girls that don't even know you. They're just remote mentors, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, Pete Dawson, who's now retired, but he was, you know, kind of a a hero in the TMJ, what we call TMD world. Um, And, you know, he he was a big, had a big impact on me. Um, Danny Melker is a now retired periodontist from Florida. He just was just doing amazing periodontal work uh, over the years, and I really enjoyed mentoring with him. You know, I could go down the list. There's just so many people, um, and even local dentists. There's, you know, a local dentist here in Cincinnati that um, just was a a huge mentor for me that helped me come right out of dental school and start to encourage me to, you know, look at dentistry as a whole in a comprehensive manner versus just, you know, do you have a cavity? Do you have gingivitis? (laughs) And it really expanded my world. He was great. We we spent a lot of time uh, in the first couple of years doing CEs together, continuing education and so forth and so on. So really appreciate mentors. And I really, honestly, that's part of why I want to do it and, and enjoy doing it and giving back in that way. So it's been it's been a lot of fun now for me to be able to flip that and, and do that for younger, younger dentists or potential dentists. So. Sure, sure. I found even in my own professional development, just mentors are so key. And I appreciated what you said that it doesn't necessarily have to be mentors within your field, but it can even be mentors outside, but they can teach you um, discipline. They can teach you motivation. They can teach you drive and responsibility and all of those aspects that can translate then into your practice. So appreciated hearing about that. I want to look a little bit into the day to day. Could you walk us through a typical day in your life and what are the kind of the daily requirements uh, when you're off, when you're in the office, when you're practicing dentistry, sure. the 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 key, I think, to running a a private practice is, you know, which is what I have, and and many dentists just statistically, you know, run private practices around the U.S. Uh, the key is really prep. Uh, preparation is is the most important thing, and so a lot of what's done before the patient sits in the chair is really what makes your day flow smoothly and, you know, and, and in a positive way versus uh, having problems or, or difficulties, setbacks, et cetera. So we start our day with a, a 15 minute morning huddle is what we call it, where the staff, the team just review the schedule, review medical issues that a client may have. You know, if they have allergies to latex, for example, then we want to wear different kind of gloves. You know, there's a lot of little bits and pieces, but essentially we we just talk and we work together through that schedule to see if there are any problems, issues, time constraints, you know, things where maybe we're going to be running behind. Uh, and we just work very carefully in communication to make sure that the, the schedule is as smooth as possible. Of course, schedules change, you know, throughout the day. You can have an emergency patient or so forth and so on. But generally speaking, I think is, you know, I've done this for years that I've found that that 
first meeting is super critical to just setting the day off right. Mm. After that, we jump in. You know, I always find that you do your best work when you're fresh. And so right in the morning, I like to put some of my more difficult cases. So I will do a lot of larger cases. This might be wisdom teeth with sedation or you know, a larger case and so forth and so on in the morning. Um, that allows me to just hit the ground running uh, and, um, you know, kind of like an ever ready, you know, the ever ready bunny or whatever, you know, just right. hit the ground running. Uh, our hygienist, you know, and is working in her operatories, cleaning teeth. And um, she does, you know, both surgical cleanings and then traditional cleanings. So she says various different things. So I'll be checking on those clients throughout the day while I'm also managing my clients. So it's busy. Uh, dentistry is definitely not for people who want to sit behind a computer. You, <laughs> you need to be moving. Uh, I always say I get my steps in. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, the afternoon then in, in our office, we, we kind of have a, a, a structure to our day. We try to schedule certain appointments in certain places in the day just to help it flows smoother and kind of know what to expect in the day. And so it's very, uh, after doing this for many years, it's become very smooth and it allows us to, to the team to know what to expect. And so in the afternoon, we'll handle a lot of our post-op appointments that might be suture removals, uh, smaller appointments like fillings, things like that. So every practice does it differently, but we, we tend to like to put our bigger cases in the morning. I also like that because if they happen to be sedated, then it gives them a few hours to get home, get comfortable, and for us to check on them, you know, before we leave the office. So just a great way to do follow up with our clients. Uh, so yeah, that's that's our day, and then we all always end our day with what we call the EOD or end of day. And mm -hmm. what we're doing is just reviewing how the day go. Uh, was there anything that we missed or or needed to correct? Um, you know, we like to celebrate the things that were done well, so we don't just focus on, you know, any one, you know, any little thing that wasn't perfect. We also like to, uh, encourage and compliment the team on what they did well. So the team is so important, you know, just having good, good people that, um, match your vision, match your, match your goals. Uh, so that's, that's making my job a lot easier. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I love what you said about touching base before and you just, you really do need that proper communication with your team and you really do need to be on the same page, especially um, in dentistry and, and within private practice. It's very fast paced and there's always things that may come up or that's changing. So it's helpful to have those beginning of the day meetings and then those end of the day meetings just to, to make sure that you're leading your team well and that everyone's on the same page. From the patient's perspective, could you discuss a little bit the importance of an effective physician-patient relationship and why it's so valuable maybe for a new patient and just in general to kind of stimulate that relationship? Yes, this is probably one of the most important things that hopefully anybody listening to this podcast uh, would, would really catch and uh, going into you know any sort of medicine or healthcare that involves uh, a patient, you know, a, 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 and a doctor, the, the ability to connect uh, with someone, especially when you're first meeting them for the first time, is super important. And in particular, dentistry tends to be one of those areas of medicine that can create anxiety. Uh, there's a lot of clients that we treat, uh, for example, because I do um, IV sedation and conscious sedation, 
um, dentistry, there is quite a few patients that we have that don't come to us for any reason other than that we are able to get them sleepy for their care because they have a lot of anxiety from past dental experiences and so forth and so on. So I, I think that the most important thing we can do is build trust before we move forward with treatment. And so my staff know that and they understand that we need the the um, experience for the client from the very beginning when we first see that client to spend time getting to know them. And it may not be super um, detailed, but being able to understand why they're coming, you know, what they need, what they perceive they need uh, is important. I always encourage my team to address the reason that the client has come first, right? That's a very, a very good thing to do. In other words, the client may be focused on a small a tiny chip on a front tooth, and they may have an abscess tooth in the back of their mouth. So despite the fact we need to address that abscess tooth, we still want to make sure we're addressing that tiny chip because it's important. Sure. Them. So I think once we build um, a good relationship with the client, then then that brings just a natural uh, trust factor there. And then that client can move forward with therapy. So uh, we can have all the right answers as clinicians but if we don't have that trust relationship with the client, we simply will will run into headwalls, we'll run into obstacles, and and so we want we want our patients to know that we have their best interest at heart, and our job is to kind of guide and lead them in areas that may be foreign to them. You know, they may think that they have one problem and they have another. Just a, a real quick and common example is we all have patients that sometimes think they have a tooth problem, a toothache. And they actually just have a sinusitis. They just have a sinus infection and just need to see their physician for <laughs> sinus medication. So, right, right. You know, we we want to be able to um, provide a trust relationship so that they can then move forward with therapy. It just helps them, um, you know, follow our advice and our guidance and so forth. So um, that's that's it's absolutely everything is building that relationship. So yep. for sure. And like you touched on, you can feel very vulnerable in those moments or. You could have past negative experiences or just have a lot of anxiety coming into a situation. So if you can be there with your team and just immediately build that trust and just bring peace about that situation, that just really makes all the difference. So, yeah, calm is good, right? We, we try to reach all the senses when patients come in our office. So whether it's music playing, the color of the office, we deliberately did not make our office just sterile white everywhere. Um, you know, we sometimes have candles burning, you know, in the winter, uh, just to kind of, you know, keep the, keep the medical smells at bay. You know, there's a lot of little nuance to, um, to running the business end of it. And, you know, an important part of that is making sure that the client doesn't walk into what they think is your typical sterile, you know, medical practice. Um, you know, I always like to tease my patients when, you know, they talk about anxiety or fear and I like to tease them and say, you know, I'm a, I'm a client too. You know, I know what it feels like to be in the chair, sure. to have my teeth cleaned, to have dental work done. So I, I like to let them know I'm I'm right there with you. I, I want you to have a great experience. I want you to be comfortable. So that's awesome. We touched on it a little bit before, but within the day to day, there's immense trust in your immediate team and the need for effective collaboration during certain dental procedures. We talked about the beginning of the day meetings and then your end of the day meetings to make sure that you are all on the same page. But could you touch on this aspect of collaboration and a little bit of how you delegate tasks in order to be effective and efficient on the day-to-day? Sure. Um, We'll we'll break them up. I guess first is the communication part. Uh, My practice is very, very 
based on good constant communication. So I have a great team, uh, but a part of that is when you are a dentist running a small private business, it, that team is relying on you to train them and build structure. So while people come to your office from a staff perspective with lots of talent and lots of personality, it's our job to bring all of those beautiful talents and different personalities together to work efficiently. And so communication is absolutely essential. Um, knowing what we're doing, who we're doing it on, when we're doing it, all of those things rely on everybody talking and communicating constantly. So I've got a great team, but you know, a lot of that, as we mentioned, begins with the morning meeting, just mm-hmm. being able to you know, take a peek at the whole schedule and make sure there aren't changes or issues or concerns. Um, you know, just being prepped and ready, uh, preparation is everything, whether you're an, you know, you're an athlete or you're an undergrad getting ready for big chemistry tests, you know, whatever <laughs> it is, preparation is huge. And so that doesn't change when you go into the, into the world of dentistry, you want to be prepared for each day. It just allows the day to go smooth for everybody. Uh, I think patients feel it. I think they know, and we get a lot of compliments from clients all the time that, uh, they, they feel that we just do a really good job communicating with them. You know, a lot of our reviews online are really based on communication. Uh, when people compliment us, they, they don't really talk a whole lot about whether I did a, a good filling or a good root canal. They talk more about how they feel, you know, they feel comfortable in our office and we do a good job explaining to them what to expect and so forth and so on. So, mm-hmm. um, so communication is really critical and that happens not just in the morning huddle or at the end of the day, but all throughout the day, any changes uh, in the schedule, any changes in treatment. Uh, we actually, I created a, a prescriptions pad um, with my team just a few months ago. And this is an example of just an ever evolving business uh, that we call next steps. And the next steps pad is basically like a prescription pad where every one of my clinical staff will fill it out for each client after each procedure. And then it's handed to the front desk as we um, we have the client leaving so that the front desk knows exactly what we did, what's next, et cetera, you know, any prescriptions that they're needed. And while my front desk and my clinic team could probably do that without the pad, it just gives us that that extra layer <laughs> of, of confirmation that, you know, we're, we're putting everything together in the right way. So those details are important. Um, delegation, that's that's the second part. And those are those are two very different things. Sure. So they all rely on each other, of course, but, mm-hmm. um, so we're always communicating with each other a lot. And, you know, I tell my team that the door is open anytime they have questions, you know, we want, we want patients to feel like they can ask questions and get answers, but we also feel like this, the team needs that. So, um, delegation is really, um, it's, it's a challenge for dentists because I think dentists, tend to be very independent and, and independent minded. And they like, you know, they're very commonly are running businesses and making decisions constantly. Uh, what can happen is a dentist that is really proud of their work and the, the effort and energy that they put into getting where they've gotten can sometimes find themselves, um, doing everything or trying to do everything. And one of the things that I've really made sure over the years, as I've gotten more and more experience is I've delegated more and more. So I think from a pearl perspective, if you're looking for another pearl, <laughs> any of you out there that are listening to this, um, I would say learn early and quickly to delegate responsibilities. And so what does that look like? I think there's the two parts, um, you know, and, and actually Jonathan had mentioned it to me earlier when we were talking in regards to delegation, just being effective and being efficient, they, they kind of go together, they go hand in hand. And so 
effective requires me to mentor my team. So any dentist that's that's you know going to be running a practice and wants to delegate something first needs to make sure that their team has the education, has the training and the experience to feel comfortable doing whatever that project is or that particular uh, work item is. Once that that team member is mentored and trained and is ready to rock and roll, then we want to make sure that we do delegate it, that we don't micromanage it or don't oversee it constantly. We really trust that that um, that team member. And quite frankly, I like to really encourage them in front of the client. I always like to brag on my team to my patients because you know, my dental assistant does beautiful temporaries. And so when we're doing a crown and a tooth has to be temporized for a few weeks before the final crown is fabricated, um, I know and can trust that my dental assistant will make a beautiful temporary that looks good, that feels good, and I don't need to stand over her shoulders. So delegation is absolutely critical. Um, there's a joke that I have with my, my staff. I say, if my gloves aren't wet with spit, then I'm not doing the right thing. So... <laughs> Just simply meaning you want to be, as a dentist, you want to be doing dentistry for your clients. You want to be helping them with their oral health. And if I'm doing a bunch of other projects around the office throughout the day, then I'm really not doing what is most effective um, a thing for me as, as a dentist. So love delegating. My team would tell you that. They'd probably giggle about it because <laughs> I very commonly will say, hey, that's a great idea. Why don't you take that? So um also encourage young dentists uh, and new dentists or people that are going through dental school to remember that while they will teach you many areas of dentistry, for example, in dental school, we learned how to make crowns at the University of Kentucky and we did our own, we made our own gold crowns. Um, we learned how to make dentures and fabricated dentures, we learned how to do a lot of different things. The reality is in business, uh, you want to be um, efficient and productive and, and the best thing for you to do is anything that does not does not require your hands um, you should be trained to staff ancillary staff and and allow them to rock and roll and they oftentimes find that they really enjoy those things you know I've got staff that do a lot of cool things uh, my dental assistant does all my in-office whitening uh, for my clients and she really enjoys it you know taking before and after pictures and, and doing the process uh, she makes a lot of our night guards, uh, the, the appliances for people that grind their teeth. Um, really loves doing it. She does a great job. So it's been fun to delegate those things and, and allow my staff to kind of grow and blossom. That's great. Yeah. It's great to hear that. You have received dual certification in intravenous and conscious sedation, and you've done oral surgeries, TMJ treatment, and full mouth reconstructions. Could you give us just a glimpse into the more surgical side of dentistry, as well as any additional training that could be involved? Yeah, dental school, I think, Jonathan, gives you exposure uh, to all fields in in the dental world. Um, you know, you get a little bit of a little taste of everything, but to really come out into a general practice or a you know a dental practice and start providing those services to your to your clients to your patients. It really um, becomes up to the dentist to to seek cer further certifications and more training, and, and of course, getting good mentors, good competent mentors. So while we can do a lot of the educational components and and feel technically competent, um, experience, uh, advice from mentors is really critical, um, and continuing to pursue areas uh, that maybe you're already doing and that you're you're proficient at, but you want to get better. So there's really a, you know, I always say you never stop learning. You know, the issue is just whether you 
you want to acknowledge that or not, but we're always learning. Uh, you know, the, the question is how, how, how motivated are you? How excited are you to, to learn, you know, to get that next step say, Hey, I want to be better at that procedure. I want to be more efficient at that procedure. Uh, you know, we know in oral surgery, for example, that uh, removing wisdom teeth in an efficient manner tends to have less swelling and inflammation post-operatively and therefore less pain and just an easier outcome. So, you know, we really don't want to spend a ton of time working on a tooth when we're removing the tooth. We want to get it out as atraumatically as possible. And in order to do that, we need to be good at what we do. So, you know, a brand new oral surgeon or general dentist that's doing wisdom teeth removal is not necessarily going to be as efficient uh, at doing that as somebody with some experience. And so that's okay, but what do you do as a dentist then to get better at your craft. And of course that's continuing education and, and, and building those mentor relationships. So, um, I think that I love the, the idea of, of dentists now coming out and doing more dentistry and more phases or more areas of dentistry, uh, versus being, um, super subspecialized. But I also understand that, uh, a lot of the specialties out there are hugely valuable, uh, to us. You know, I still work with specialists in the area in Cincinnati, uh, when we have really complex cases that I feel needs an extra set of hands and eyes on it. Uh, so we do use specialists occasionally. Um, and it's awesome, you know, to, to collaborate on, on complex cases. Some, some dental patients have problems that have gone on for decades and they present to your office and, you know, that's where collaboration can sometimes be helpful, but sure. Average dentist has never done a full mouth reconstruction case, just statistically, according to the stats. So it is a unique thing to take on that challenge. Um, it, it's not something you do straight out of dental school, but as you build mentor relationships, you build certifications and you, you get that training, uh, your confidence can grow. And, and, and um, it's really amazing what you can do for, for uh, patients. Uh, it, it's fun to discover even, mm -hmm. you know, even 20 years in to, you know, providing dentistry. So that's incredible. And could you also touch on the use of Botox and dermal fillers? and how this has proved effective in your own practice. Yeah, this is, I wouldn't call it newer in my practice, but I would definitely say it's one of the newer things that I've provided in the last couple of years. I've, I've gone from utilizing it for mostly TMJ type issues. And it's not technically, if we get in the weeds a little bit for a moment, it's not technically TMJ that Botox is beneficial for. It's, it's for muscle uh, related issues or problems that is commonly misrepresented as TMJ. So TMJ is just the temporomandibular joint, which is the joint space where the lower jaw connects to the skull. And clients can have many, many, there's, there's over 60 different diagnoses for TMJ problems. So we in the dental world more correctly call it TMD or temporomandibular disorder. The jaw joint itself is not really um, helped it directly by Botox. And that's a common myth. Um, what Botox does is help relax muscles. And by relaxing muscles, then, you know, when you have an injured joint, if you think about your knee, for example, if you have an injured knee, it can affect the musculature uh, in the leg and even the lower back. And so by relaxing the muscles, we can really help a lot of clients that have TMJ problems. Um, most commonly, we get into issues of what we call bruxism. It is a 
super hot topic right now in dentistry for many reasons. We can talk about that later if you want. But uh, bruxism is really causing a lot of damage in the American adult population right now, and in particular right now. And so Botox is has just been a game changer in in helping me combat some of the damage and the negative effects of, of bruxing um, and damage to the teeth. So we've been using Botox for a couple of years now in my practice, uh, primarily for migraine treatment, uh, for bruxism, as I mentioned, uh, for headache patients that have a lot of uh, headaches. But of course, it's fun to use it for wrinkles, you know, and everybody <laughs> seems to know about that. Uh, sure. And, uh, you know, it's, um, it's, it's fun to watch that process for patients. So um, it's a it's a different application when you're using it for wrinkles versus when you're using it for for example like TMJ issues or jaw joint issues, um, but it works very very well. It's very efficient. It's a natural protein, so you know it's not a um, a product that man makes. I love how it's just made naturally, and so the body can break it down naturally, and uh, very very little um, issues when it's done correctly at the right dosing in the right mm. places. It can be super efficient and we've had really good response from our clients. So, um, so that's a huge one. The dermal fillers, that's purely cosmetic. Um, you know, but that is important. Some people have had injuries or scars and, you know, other patients, for example, may have just age that's, um, taken a lot of the, the fullness from their lips. And so when lips get really thin, uh, dermal fillers allow us to make them more full, kind of build back some of that natural beauty of youth that we have, um, you know, as we age, we, we do tend to lose volume in our lips. So dermal fillers are commonly used for that. Um, but also, uh, there are wrinkles that are deep set sometimes from the nose down to the corner of the mouth called the nasolabial fold. And that fold is commonly, uh, used, dermal fillers are used to fill that and make our faces look less aged. So it's been really neat to apply kind of those cosmetic components, you know, along with the dental part. Uh, allows us to, you know, um, you know, people can not just have their teeth straightened and whitened and so forth, but they can actually remove wrinkles and fill in voids and, uh, really, you know, reduce headaches. It's it's pretty neat. It's pretty neat to do. Sure, that's cool to expound upon that because I know some people may have a small understanding of bo the use of Botox, but it's nice to see the multiple uses of it as well. So, sure. could we touched on it a little bit before, but could you describe? the differences between Invisalign and traditional braces and which method might be more effective? So that's a, it's a conversation that is debated constantly in dentistry <laughs> and it's, it's fun to watch. You know, I love the whole point of science is to question. And mm -hmm. I think that particularly now, um, you know, with so much conversation around science and, and all of the debating that goes back and forth about so many different science-related subjects. I think it's really fun to watch. I'm encouraged, actually, that there is debate as long as it's healthy, um, you know, that people question things. And so science is, that's, that's a scientist at heart, is somebody who questions things. And so when I say that, just to say that there is a place and space for both traditional orthodontics and Invisalign, uh, my belief is that uh, at the end of the day, understanding the mechanics of tooth movement is really the most important thing for a dentist versus the mechanisms by which we do it. And so there are pros and cons to both systems. And a great example, you know, as you probably can imagine, is the difficulty of wearing brackets and wires and 
you know, seeing the orthodontist multiple times or your dentist multiple times for straightening and tightening of those wires is a little more uncomfortable. Typically, is going to be a little bit harder, especially on on kids, uh, versus Invisalign, where you know you're typically placing these small clear retainers in the mouth, and these these retainers are moving the teeth. So, I I would say that neither one is is an isolated uh, solution for 100% of the orthodontic cases. There are cases where orthodontics is not just about tooth movement, but jaw discrepancies. And so um, not everybody fits into a single mold. And so I've, I've utilized just Invisalign in my office uh, simply because the, um, the business end of having, you know, wires and brackets and, and hiring a staff member exclusively to do, you know, cementing brackets and wires and so forth really didn't make sense from a business perspective for me. But that doesn't mean that I'm averse to people using traditional orthodontics. I think that it works well, works great. Um, but we are seeing an increase in Invisalign cases uh, in my practice, and I think just around Cincinnati, I've observed a lot more orthodontists using uh, Invisalign or in- invisible braces, clear retainers to move teeth. Uh, I love the CAD CAM component to it. So for those of you familiar with CAD CAM, it's great. If you're not, it just simply means that the impressions or the molds of the teeth are scanned into a computer that allows us a 3D rendering of the teeth and the position that they're in then we can manipulate that on a computer to put the teeth where we want them. And then the um, company Invisalign that I use or you know other clear retainer companies, whoever you use, can then fabricate the retainers and move the teeth in succession. So it's a little at a time, uh, something that maybe the average person doesn't know. So I'll, I'll give this as an example where it's, it's helpful to have somebody competently working on you, uh, is a too aggressive movement can cause problems with... Um, you know, bone and and gum dissolving uh, away from an area if you're moving teeth too aggressively or you're moving a tooth in an unstable part in the jaw can also result in a lot of discomfort. You know, some discomfort and pain and soreness is normal when you're moving teeth, especially if you're moving them aggressively, but we don't want to get too aggressive with the teeth. And then lastly, we see that you can actually shorten the roots on teeth if you're too aggressive. That's uh, called blunting or shortening of the roots. So for someone that's being moved very aggressively, very quickly, it's actually not not really a great thing. We, we found in in orthodontics, we want to be a little bit slower, um, and that's why you know people tend to say, "Wow, it seems to take a long time." There's actually science in that. You know, it's a, there's a reason why we want to not move you too quickly. And so, um, just personal perspective, I've had kids in braces, traditional braces, in my own home, and I've had kids that I have. Uh, one of my daughters is using Invisalign, so we mm-hmm. we've used both. And I think that they both have a place. So, Sure, that's helpful. I want to look a little bit into the pandemic. Um, it was a challenging time for all of us, but especially for healthcare professionals. Have you seen any dental issues surface that were due in some part to the pandemic? Or have you seen any new cases that kind of like post-COVID, kind of interesting to look at? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and it's actually an interesting one that I would hope in the dental community that, you know, dentists and dental students are talking about. Uh, the thing that has definitely stood out to me, it's it's a very clear parallel, is uh, the the issue of bruxism, as I touched on earlier, and, and dentistry and, and, and the clients that are coming in post, post-COVID. And, and what bruxism is, is just simply in its simplest form, it's the clenching or grinding of teeth, but it's specific to nocturnal, meaning when you're, when you're sleeping. 
Uh, one of the common statements I hear from clients when we start to discuss the issue of bruxism uh, is we'll commonly hear a patient say, oh, I don't, I don't think I grind my teeth. And what I, what I love to say to them, and obviously in a, you know, a joking manner, but, but with some seriousness, is that we really don't know if we're, if we're grinding our teeth, if we're bruxing at night because we're asleep. So unless somebody's videotaping you and, you know, at night, there's really no way for you to know, but there are some side effects and some symptoms and even some, sometimes some traumatic episodes that can occur when people are doing this. So one of the things I tell people is there's, this is an entire world or field in dentistry. And a lot of people don't realize that it's heavily discussed in the dental community. Um, you know, the damage and, and the frequency of damage, but it's really, I think since COVID has just dramatically increased, I'm seeing now, I say this regularly to my clients, I'm seeing more broken, chipped and cracked teeth than I am seeing cavities. Hmm. And that was not necessarily the case pre COVID. It was definitely common, but it, now it is much more common for me to see that than to see, than to treat a cavity, for example, which is pretty phenomenal. Um, the damage can be quite, quite impressive as far as uh, how aggressive, how quickly um, the teeth can be worn, chipped, or cracked from this. It also can contribute to migraines, to tension headaches, to TMJ problems. Um, one of the things that people oftentimes assume is that when they have gum recession, which is the loss of gum around the teeth, they oftentimes blame it on brushing too hard. The, the science doesn't really tend to show that. The primary issue is, is that the tooth is in a position in the jaw where the gum is not able to be stable. And if you go and grind very aggressively your teeth, that can cause movement, just like orthodontics, if you think of it a little bit like that. And it can actually lead and contribute to, to tooth damage, but also even bone and gum loss. Uh, so we were really trying to get in front of of uh, the bruxing issue. Uh, and I think that that's probably the primary change that I've seen, mm -hmm. uh, you know, post COVID. That's fascinating to look yeah. into that a little bit. You've lectured to multiple dental groups throughout your professional career, and you've also been published in multiple peer reviewed magazines. Could you just touch on the idea of a healthcare professional being within that public space, like the world of publications and kind of why it's important to, to do that, to, publish if you can, or to, to speak to these different dental groups, why that's important within a career. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, I think for a student, a potential dental student, um, understanding that you are, there's a lot of people that are involved in your life to get you to a place where you then come out with a professional degree and start taking care of clients and, and, and helping people get well, you know, whatever field of medicine that you're interested in. And so I just felt like when that had happened, it was important for me to start to give back. Uh, it was important for me to take some of the experience that I'd gained from not just from school, but from my mentors and all of the different courses. It felt like I needed to summarize a lot of this information and then start to give it back um, to the community. Because I think part of being a scientist, which all physicians of all medical areas are truly first and foremost scientists, we just are. And I love, I love that. Uh, I think that scientists that really love what they do um, and are passionate about their uh, their fields will want to do that at some point. We'll want to say, hey, you know, I've, I've had so many people um, invest in me. I want to be able to invest back and, and give mm -hmm. back. And so that that's really where the the idea of publications or you know, writing articles or speaking to, to um, you know, dental groups, dental study groups, 
that's where it really begins. And for some people, it's really fun. You know, I, I really enjoy teaching. Uh, one of my passions outside of dentistry is coaching. I love to coach lacrosse and I've been doing it for about eight years now. Uh, it's all just really about giving back, you know, and being able to say, Hey, you know, I've got this experience and this knowledge. I'd love to share it with you. And, and so it's a lot of fun. Mm. Yeah. That's great. And that's, I love your perspective of giving back to the community. And after all of your years of being in practice, you know, you have real value to give back to the community and doing that, not just through patients who come into your office, but also through engaging those different groups and also being in publication is really important. You know, some consider dentistry to be one of the oldest medical professions, and there's been incredible advancement within the field. We've touched on the idea of tooth reconstruction or surgeries that have been uh, developed and are growing, uh, sedation techniques that are now being used. Could you just touch a little bit on the advancement within the field of dentistry, either from the surgical perspective or even just from the advanced advancement of the dental materials that have been used. Sure. Yeah. There is, um, many different areas that are kind of all at the same time advancing. So sure. you know, a common one, um, that some patients may have heard of, or, or some, uh, some of you listening to this podcast, it's just in the area of CAD cam, um, and intraoral scanning. And so, you know, we can utilize that not just to restore teeth, but we can utilize that to even restore jaws, um, whether it's making uh, surgical stents or guides for implant placement that's done through 3D scanning of the jaw, uh, whether it's um, identifying a cancerous cyst or lesion in the jaw and how it extends, um, you know, meaning if a surgeon is wanting to uh, understand more completely what extent of their surgical um, you know, sectioning of that area. Uh, they can get a 3D rendering of that and be able to view that in real time. Um, you know, it, it's great for uh, emergency appointments. If you have, um, you know, the ability to 3D scan, you can take images and then do reconstruction again on the computer. And it just, uh, it even helps in lab communication. You know, as we're working with our dental labs, the lab I work with uh, is out in Utah. And we can talk in real time. We can look at photos and intraoral uh, scans of the patient's mouth that, uh, whenever there's questions, if we have questions. So that's a that's a big field of, of medicine, I think, that's really just uh, helped us tremendously in several different ways. Um, another one would be laser dentistry. And there are so many different kinds of lasers. Uh, you know, there's just a, a myriad and they all do different things and the, the public will commonly think that a laser is a laser of course and that uh i think another common myth is that people believe that and even dentists sometimes <laughs> unfortunately believe that you know you can use a laser for all laser or area procedures but sure. just uh just to touch on that a little bit what that really means though when you dive into the science and the research is that there are lasers that are effective on bone lasers that are effective on gum, lasers that are effective on teeth, and then some lasers that have settings that can um, be adjusted to allow you to work on several different structures. But the structure of teeth, bone, and gum are vastly different in the way they heal, the way they recover, um, just their organic structure in general, their hardness. Yeah, there's so many things to it. So uh, if I'm going to work with a, for example, a soft tissue or gum laser, I'm certainly not going to use the same kind of laser at the same setting to work, for example, on the jawbone or on wisdom teeth or, you know, whatever it is I'm doing. So 
it, it is a wonderful technology and it can really improve a lot of areas of treatment for us. Um, but I also caution those out there to whatever application you're interested in. If you say, hey, lasers sound really fascinating. I think I'd love to use it. Just make sure you're going out and really becoming um, kind of the expert in your area, you know, learning and men getting mentors that have utilized these, these lasers over the years so that you're able to just do really good work. Uh, we use our laser in our practice. I have a laser that is a, it's a pretty high-end laser, so there's a lot of various settings that it can utilize. Uh, and I can use it for small things like we talked about earlier. We talked about cold sore removal all the way to full-on uh, surgeries, you know, wisdom teeth surgery and, and so forth. So it's a, it, it's a neat um, piece of equipment, but I, I always say the ultimate piece of equipment is your hands and your mind. Uh, to young dentists, I say that you know, a tool is a tool. Uh, so you can do amazing dentistry with or without great technology, but the technology just makes your job easier. That's really it. So, yeah. So that, those are probably the two big ones. Jonathan is, is laser dentistry. There's another area that's been unfolding, uh, in the world of, um, how we grow. And that's the concept of epigenetics. And that has been fascinating because we're now currently seeing, um, studies that are uh, being performed on growing teeth. That is maybe something hopefully we'll see in the next, you know, 50 years or so where, you know, we're able to actually take a, an area with that that's missing a tooth or had to have a tooth extracted and they could surgically place a tooth bud, like a little tooth cells and grow teeth. Well, uh, so they're having um, some success on animal studies and I believe in, and they've been testing that. Uh, but the whole world of epigenetics just means the body's ability to grow and how does it grow? And so that's been really fascinating. It's helped me in my understanding of how to help people that are crowded when they have dental crowding and how to help, uh, help them grow in the jaw frame, not just move teeth around. So it's been, it's been neat. That's incredible to just hear from your perspective too, of how all of these different things within dentistry are expanding and growing and developing simultaneously at the same time. Right. Is there anything, maybe you've already touched on it, but is there anything else that you see in the future of dentistry that excites you developments within the field that is exciting to you as someone who's in the practice? You know, it's a, it's a good question. I, I think that the, the beauty of, of people coming up in the industry, you know, our youth is oftentimes some of our more creative. And, you know, if you've been practicing for 30 years, for example, it may be hard sometimes to, to come up with a new idea or a new way to treat something or, uh, create new products. Uh, but one of the things I think is just amazing is watching the product development. Mm -hmm. And so as far as like the future, um, we're seeing more and more what we term biomimetic, which just simply means mimicking, you know, mimicking our body's natural structures. Uh, we're seeing more and more biomimetic products. And just a quick example is we're utilizing um, different products in the jaw to help stimulate gum growth and to stimulate bone growth when we've had an area where we've lost bone or had bone disease. Uh, we now have products that promote cellular growth at the cellular level to stimulate mm -hmm. bone or gum. So we're not just drilling holes and filling, you know, filling holes in teeth. Dentistry is really a complete medical picture. Um, if you're going to a dentist that has that experience, has that training, that background, um, 
really there is a lot of opportunity for people that have, you know, in some cases have maybe even been told by a dentist, hey, there's nothing I can do for you. I, I hear that from patients sometimes that they were told that. And I will sometimes look at cases and go, I, I don't understand why you were told that. There's absolutely <laughs> things we can do for you. So sure. as far as like what's coming down the pike, um, I can't even imagine what technology we've got coming because right now, uh, when I've got an area that has deficient bone, uh, we have some really cool products that stimulate bone growth. Uh, when we need to rebuild gum, we have everything from, of course, the patient's own gum tissue all the way to donor tissue, uh, both synthetic and um, uh, donated uh, soft tissue. <laughs> so um, it's it's pretty amazing. It's a very bright future, but I, I don't know that there's a particular product right now out in the market that... Um, that is new, like revolutionary or game changing that I've seen in the last year or two. I think COVID probably had a little bit of an impact on some of that movement, but I, I would surmise that anything that was being worked on prior to COVID is probably going to be, you know, up and running again uh, right now. Um, so I'm excited to see what's next. So there are dental, uh, for those of you looking at dentistry or medicine, there are dental shows kind of think like car shows and boat shows well there are dental shows and there's some huge ones there's ones in la there's ones in chicago new york really any major city every year it's a great place to go and just you know you go to your courses and learn some new things from some of the great leaders in in dentistry or medicine and then you go around the trade floors and you learn about all the new products so there's, there's always stuff being created that's fantastic yeah. and it really is interesting to look at the younger generation and that innovative spirit and the world of dentistry is very innovative and you're always thinking of solutions to to problems that keep resurfacing and new things that might come up. So that's exciting to look at. There's always problems to solve. Exactly. So I just want to encourage those out there that there are really no dumb ideas. You know, use your ideas, expand upon them, see what you can come up with because some of the most amazing products in dentistry came out of someone just scratching their head one day and saying, what if I did this? What if I do that? So for some of you who've played that game, I don't know the name of the game, but it's the game where the you use like a, a little latex uh, circular thing and you put it in your mouth and it stretches your lips out of the way. Uh -huh. You're supposed to talk and try to understand what the other person's saying. Right. It's literally a board game now. Well, we actually use those in dentistry. A lot of dentists use them because getting the lips and the cheek out of the way while you're working is incredibly good because it brings more light to the, the mouth, uh, allows you to avoid trauma to the lip and skin as the patients are, you know, obviously moving when you're working. Uh, so that little simple, tiny device, it's very, you know, very non-technological. It's just a, <laughs> just a little bit of a, we call them rubber dams, but those little pieces of equipment are, are tremendous in helping you do your job effect effectively. So, yeah. That's fantastic. And it goes back to what you're saying earlier of just having that lifelong learning and having that curiosity and always be willing to to keep your eyes open for future problems and Absolutely. be willing to solve those. When you're not in the office and when you're not practicing, what brings you joy outside of the practice of dentistry? <laughs> passions you love to do or oh, yeah. things like that? Yeah, I've definitely got a few passions. So obviously family and faith are paramount. And you know, I always say to my team, we we work to live, we don't live to work. Mm. And so while I love doing what I do, and when I'm here, I wanna you know, put 100% into what I'm doing. I wanna be able to provide great care, be proud of what I've done that day. You know, I wanna look back on my day and go, hey, I, I worked hard, but I worked well, right? Mm. 
But when I get out of here, oh man, I love my <laughs> my life outside of uh, outside of the office way more than I love my life inside the office. And I hope everyone can say that. So, uh, family and faith is is paramount. So, um, as far as as far as passions, I think one of my passions in the last uh, decade has been coaching. I really have absolutely loved what started off as just kind of helping out and uh, coaching lacrosse at our school it turned into kind of a passion that. I just really enjoy doing it year round now and, and work with um, lacrosse players around the area uh, on just helping them be a better version of themselves on the field. Mm-hmm. So I've been really enjoying that. Um, love uh, traveling and exploring with my family. Some of the best memories that you know you tend to have if you think about as you go through your decades, you look back on your photos. You know, if you look in your phone and look at your photos, what what stops you as you're you're scanning through them? And it's usually not the day to day humdrum or social media stuff it's you know i remember when we went to you know the golden gate bridge or the grand canyon or you know you know whatever beautiful national park you went to or, or skiing or whatever what have you so i i think that traveling and exploring with my family uh we we've, we've loved to go into dude ranches we've had some dude ranch experiences for a few years we've done a lot of ski trips together um I think it's really important that people travel and explore and see the world. I think it helps us understand our, our, our world a little better. And uh, I haven't done it in a couple of years, but I had done some dental mission trips in my early years when I had a little more free time. You know, I always encourage. So there's, I'd say this would be another pearl, Jonathan. Yes. So those of you out there that are, uh, you know, wanting to get into medicine and dentistry, my advice to you is do not use the early years when you are building a client base and you won't be as busy. You just naturally won't. Um, use those hours and those days where you might have some downtime really efficiently by going out and giving back. Uh, you'll be blown away by how blessed you are if you go on a medical mission trip or a dental mission trip. I usually come back from those trips um, extremely, extremely happy, but extremely exhausted. So it's a, it's a dual edged sword, but it's so awesome to do something like that, where you go out and you help other people in communities that need help, that don't have access to care. In my case, I went to Mexico, uh, went up into an area called Copper Canyon, worked with some native uh, Indian populations up there in that area uh, with a couple other dentists and physicians. And we did this on two different trips and it was a phenomenal experience. So the challenge is as you get busy and you build your business, it is tough and harder to get away for extended periods of time. So I'd encourage those, those of you who are young, maybe not married, maybe no kids, um, really jump on those experiences early on. Uh, you will not regret them. That's fantastic. That's great advice too of learning to, to travel the world and, and to experience more than just what's in your immediate community. And like what you're saying, when you're in the office and in your practice, you should obviously love what you're doing, but also have things outside that constantly bring you joy and, and kind of keep your passion alive. Do you have any um, final encouragement that you would give to an aspiring healthcare professional, someone who's maybe even at high school and, and starting out in college, or someone who's in the middle of their their undergraduate years in the the grind of schoolwork? And yeah. any any encouragement that you'd give to them? Yeah, I think. I think the first thing I would say is, you know, we see on social media often the one percenters is what I call them, whether it's an athlete or, you know, somebody that is um, really gifted at a craft. 
And we oftentimes can get lost in the beauty of, of so much of that, whether you see, you know, beautiful art or an athlete that's just amazing. But what we oftentimes forget is that the work and effort and energy and the consistency um, that was put in for that individual to become talented at whatever that it is that they do, you know, whether it's a, an amazing musician or a great artist, um, oftentimes doesn't get seen. And so I think being comfortable um, in the lonely is kind of how I describe it, it meaning that your day-to-day grind that I know you're, and those of you out there listening to this, the fact that you're listening to this probably means that you're, you know, hoping to head into a field of medicine. You know, I just encourage you to say that um, it, it does go unnoticed each day by most, if not all. And there are many people, even maybe your family, that are, isn't going to know really the work, the energy, the difficulty of what it is you're doing right now in your prep work and your training. Um, you know, working on your grades, working on, you know, uh, there's a huge difference between a STEM uh, a STEM student and a student that might be, you know, studying other areas in terms of time commitment. Uh, and anyone who observes STEM students and their course load and workload knows this. And a great example is your lab work. You know, it can might get one credit out for something that takes you 12 hours a week to do. So, sure. uh, you know, I, I just want to encourage you that what you do in the quiet or what you do in the lonely has value. And the second thing is it will come back in spades. Um, it's, it's like putting money in an investment and just leaving and letting it sit so that it comes back and becomes something much, much bigger. So it will return to you multiple fold that work. And so I want to just, I guess, first just encourage your listeners that, uh, that work is, is going somewhere. It's not going to be for nothing. And the second thing, you know, I would say is, um, from an encouragement standpoint, advice standpoint is be comfortable getting into a rhythm. Um, you know, you, you have to manage your life and your schedule, obviously going to classes and your free time and, you know, uh, maybe getting some exercise <laughs> mixed in there. Just to want to encourage you to, to learn, to develop, um, you know, a rhythm and a system for your weeks. It really can help versus um, feeling like you're just kind of what's next, what's next. So just some, uh, some prayerful consideration of how you manage your week. Each week is good. It's just preparation. We talked earlier about the value of our team every morning meeting and prepping. So I think that that, that has a lot of value, you know, prep for your day. Um, and then, um, get some sleep. <laughs> That's probably a yes, good one too. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I could probably go down a, a long list of, of things that are, that are helpful, but I think that, um, I just, I find that a lot of times the students that are in this area, uh, many times their their families don't even know unless they went through it themselves, don't quite realize um, how how long a journey, how tough the journey is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will tell you, you know, somebody that's now you know 21 years on the other side, uh, out there working and and so forth. That uh, while it was hard, uh, it, it has allowed me so many amazing experiences, and and even outside of dentistry, you know that um, I would really encourage people who have some of the skills that we talked about or interests um, to pursue it because it's a great, it's a great way um, to work. It's, it's, um, it's very rewarding in a lot of different ways. That's a beautiful vision of what you're saying of working in the quiet and just being comfortable with those quiet spaces and putting in that work and knowing that it is an investment and an investment is something that you put in without the immediate reward. But it's helpful to hear from you and, and have, being in practice for so long that uh, that it is worth it and to kind of continue that path and journey. Um, 
Just in closing, do you have any encouragement to your fellow peers within healthcare, either fellow dentists or just uh, other people generally kind of within the healthcare space? Yeah, obviously COVID was, you know, was a, was a tough one, you know, for many dentists, for example, in, in the state of Ohio, we were shut down by the state for about six weeks. And when we came back, there were a lot of new rules and regulations and, and guidelines that made it actually quite difficult for a lot of dentists to even start back up. Uh, and so it was a, it was a challenging period. And, you know, obviously that still, still can potentially exist for some practices as they've made those adjustments. So I guess what I would say with that is I would encourage them that, uh, as far as peers to just continue to seek good mentors, uh, because sometimes, you know, whether you're dealing with an, an issue, um, a, a patient issue or a complex treatment or, uh, maybe even a staff issue, you know, anything, a business issue, having mentors and being able to go to people with experience and particularly your senior and, and say, Hey, you know, I'm running into this challenge or I'm running into that challenge. Mm-hmm. Can I get your perspective? Um, it, it allows people in our fields of medicine to know I'm not alone. And I think, um, a danger is to start to feel, especially if you're an independent practitioner like myself is to start to feel like you're, you're alone in the industry because mm-hmm. you're not. Uh, there's thousands and thousands of dentists all around the country doing the same thing I'm doing every single day. And um, so be be willing to invest in in building some of those mentor relationships and, you know, join a, a, a great bit of advice. It, you know, most dentists know this, but if, if they're not doing this, I would encourage them to join a local peer study group. Uh, they're everywhere. You know, they're not super hard to find if you look a little bit. Uh, I'm a part of uh, a club called the Seattle Study Club. It's just originated in Seattle, but mm-hmm. there's clubs all around the, the country and we meet once a month and it's um, not just general dentists, it's specialists. So uh, awesome periodontist in our area, Dr. Ryan Harris, he put this together for us and, and it's been phenomenal for the last couple of years. We get together once a month and we talk cases and we bring speakers in. And so I, I really encourage that, just stay in community. Uh, because whether you're in traditional medicine or in dentistry, if you isolate yourself as a clinician, you might have the technical skills to do what you do, but emotionally that can be pretty draining. You need to, you need to know that you've got other people that, you know, can, um, take some of that work stress and, and go, yep, I've been there. I understand that, you know? So, um, I, I always like to remind people that, you know, in the dental community that we run businesses too. We don't just take care of clients. We, mm-hmm. we have a full on business to run, um, you know, apart from the patients. And so while the patients just want us to come in, sit down, take care of them and treat them kindly and do the work well, we still have a business besides that. And, uh, right. and so there's a lot of, a lot of hats that you wear. So just encourage everybody, mentors and community. That'd be it. That's fantastic. That's great pieces of advice. It's just been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. I enjoyed looking through your educational journey, uh, touching on the world of dentistry, looking at advancements within the field, and just getting uh, a deeper window into your practice. So thank you so much for coming on, Dr. Hillis. Jonathan, it's always a pleasure.